0: Morning, church. A happy Easter. Christ is risen. Oh man, so so good to be with you. Uh, today is the happiest day uh, in the Christian calendar. It's the day of victory, the the day of resurrection, the day of the empty tomb. It's a day exploding with possibility and great great hope. But guess what? It didn't start out that way. Nobody in the story that loved Jesus woke up on Easter morning thinking that it was going to be a good day, right? They were all sad. They were in despair. Probably most of them had bloodshot eyes from crying themselves to sleep the night before. But then something happened on that day that transformed them forever. And they lived the rest of their lives, no matter what they went through, joyfully singing the praises of God and telling the story of that Easter. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just pray that as we look at your word, as we, as we open it, we just pray that you would just speak to us and into those, those, those hard places of grief within us, God. We just pray that this resurrection power that we're singing about today, that you would do this glorious deed of resurrecting us, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, good morning again. If you don't know me, my name's Matt. Uh, I'm still the new guy, uh, my first year here, but my greater claim to fame is I am the father of the son that woke up the chicken. Uh, the rooster, the rooster, uh, fantastic. Didn't the kids do a great job? Um Besides enjoying my own kid, I think my, my second favorite part was seeing that they, they picked like the tallest kid with the manliest voice to play the hen. Wasn't that hilarious? He's like, I lay an egg, you know, it's awesome. So, so glad for that, so glad for the band uh, just leading us in celebration. We're going we're gonna to be thinking about just the victory that we have uh, in Jesus today. But before, before we do, I, I just want us to not, not, not rush to the resurrection story, to the Easter story, but... Uh, but to linger just a little bit back on the Good Friday story and the Good Friday experience, the, 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 the feeling that they had when they woke up that day before they knew what was about to happen, that feeling of grief and powerlessness in particular. It's been kind of a, a hard year. Anybody, anybody have a hard couple of years? Anybody anything hard happened in the world last couple of years? Right? And uh, so I think a lot of people are just, just starting to kind of realize the, the toll that all this has taken on our kind of emotional health and well-being. A lot of people feel lonely and anxious and depressed and just sort of separated. It still kind of lingers uh, in us and has effects. And then, of course, we're always uh, troubled by what we see on the news, the, 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 the war in Ukraine and all the images that we see from that. They trouble us. And then we drive down the street to fill up our car with gas. And they charge us three toes and a kidney. Okay? <laughs> so I just want to tell you, if you arrive at Easter morning stuck in Good Friday, that's okay. That's okay. I want to, I want to hope that this message that I'll just share with you will, will teach you how to celebrate Easter, even if it still feels like Good Friday. Amen? So what I want to do first is we're going to rewind the clock and just look. A little bit at the march to the cross from Matthew chapter 27. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me or follow along on the screen. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, This is Pontius Pilate, asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. I just want to point out from this that the central accusation against Jesus at this, his final trial, is that he has allegedly claimed to be the king. Are you the king? Are you the king? Because Caesar will tolerate no rival kings. Are you you the king? And this is where uh, it helps us. Those of you, if you've been around the last few months, we've been studying The kingdom of God. And I told you back in January that Jesus, this is the central theme, the central part of Jesus' life and teaching is speaking about the kingdom of God. And we spent the last three months studying that theme of the kingdom of God. If you see these these symbols, that are kind of all around uh, the room. Each of those represents one week, one part of our study. And and this, this, this study of the kingdom of God helps us understand what's happening here in the Good Friday and Easter story. But just let me give you a little taste of it. You see, all the way back at that first symbol, way off to your left, that U-turn sign, right? The first sermon that we hear Jesus preach, the first uh, sermon that his disciples go out and preach is, is essentially this, repent, meaning you're going one way with your life. You're, 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 just, you're, you're sinning, you're doing what you want, you're messing up. But you know what? The presence of God comes to you and it will empower you that you can actually turn around by God's power and grace, turn your life, and you can walk the other way. The second symbol you see, they didn't hang it upside down. I know it looks like an error, but it's supposed to be like that. That second one, it's an upside-down castle. represents the upside-down kingdom that Jesus speaks about. This is a kingdom in which losers... And the lonely and the outcast are called blessed. And the king would stoop to serve and to wash his disciples' feet. This kingdom of God is upside down from the world that we know. And then we see in the story that Jesus touches people with leprosy. He befriends sinners and rejects and foreigners and the poor. And he welcomes them into his kingdom. Hey, you guys can all all come on into my kingdom. He performs signs and miraculous wonders like healing of disease and casting out of demons and miraculously feeding 5,000 people from a little boy's lunch. And those are called signs of the kingdom or promises. Here's a little taste of the kingdom to come in which there will be no more hunger, no more oppression. No more sickness or death. And people dared to believe that it could be so. He told us that the kingdom of God, if you just could perceive of its infinite worth, it's like a, it's like a, a priceless treasure hidden in the field that we would gladly give all we have to obtain. But we learn it's, it's actually a free gift that he gives us if we'll just take off our own crown and join the kingdom Of God and He he, he offered us a new birth. We see there in this picture of the little baby that salvation comes to us like, like like, like a new birth, like a like we get to start our life over again with a new and clean heart, a fresh start. We're taught that we become kingdom people with hearts like Christ. We learn to love our neighbor as ourselves. We even dare to love our enemies. We especially learn to love hurting people, what Jesus calls the least of these. He says, if you do to them, it's like you've done for me. And then finally we come to that vision of the future kingdom that we read about in Revelation where one day there will be no more crying or death or mourning or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he'll usher us in to a realm of beauty and majesty and peace, and health, and justice forever. Such is the vision that Jesus introduces us to of the kingdom of God, the reality of God's reigning power made complete. A lot of us who have come to love Jesus have also come to love the vision of the kingdom of God of which Jesus speaks, and we've welcomed Jesus to be the king of our lives. Amen? That's the kingdom of God. Now, this is why I think it breaks our hearts so much when we read the story of the cross as Jesus is approaching the cross, when he's on trial, when he's on the cross, when everyone around him is mocking, and the one thing they are mocking is the kingdom of God. Over and over again. They're mocking him. They're mocking the kingdom of God. And in particular, they're trying to demonstrate. They're trying to overcome this kingdom of God by demonstrating the powerlessness of the king. Let's look at it together. Matthew 27, verse 27. So then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorian and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him. They put a scarlet robe on him, and then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. And they put a staff in his right hand, and then they knelt in front of him, and they mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. Think about it. They're dressing him up like a king and giving him all the symbols of authority in order to ridicule the kingdom of God, and to show him as powerless. Just like every bully that's ever walked the face of the earth, they're having fun exercising power over him. Verse 30, they spit on him, and they took the staff, and they struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe, put on his own clothes on him, and then they led him away to crucify him. In verse 35, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. See, they think they're clever and funny with that sign. They, 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 think, that, uh, they think that they have won and that he's been proven to not be a powerful king, but little do they know how those words will live on forever in irony. Later, the priests, the teachers, the elders, these are the people that Jesus always bested in debates in the temple courts. They could never get the better of him. They were always trying to lay traps for him, trying to embarrass him, trying to to unmask him, and they always seemed to lose, but now they show up as he's hanging on the cross to gloat. Over what they think is their victory. And this is what they say in 41. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Over and over and over again. The question is, are you the king? And then they try to prove he is not the king by trying to demonstrate him to be powerless. So let me ask you this question. I want to see a show of hands here. How many of you have ever felt powerless? I think if you're not raising your hand, you're probably in your early 20s. Okay? When I was 22, man, I was the master of the universe, right? But then, but then you live some life, right? And life teaches you otherwise. If any of you would like to know what it's like to feel powerless, I invite you to come coach soccer with me on Saturdays. Okay? Uh, I'm 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 known to you as the pastor of this church or one of the pastors, but uh, I'm more famous in Milpitas for being the the coach of the U10 girls uh, team known as the Chaos Queens. Okay? <laughs> Now, we've had some more success this season. Uh, last season, you know, we didn't, we didn't particularly per se win any games, but this year we've been winning some games, but, but spring break happened in Milpitas. I lost half my players, and I, I found myself at this game, and I, I'm just like, i trying to make this work, you know, trying to organize the team and recruit enough players. Hey, would you consider coming home from your vacation in Hawaii to play in my soccer game? No? No, oh, okay. So I'm getting desperate. I don't have enough players to play. I'm, I'm trying to figure this out, and I... I, I, I no joke, I, I grabbed uh, one of the girl's uh, little brothers and I dressed him up as a chaos queen and sent him in the game. Okay, shh, don't tell the league. Okay, but then I, I'm there and we're, we're, just getting, we're just getting whooped, right? And I'm just joking with the, with the assistant coach on the sidelines. Just, we're just wishing we had a remote control and we could kind of steer the kids into place, right, and just move them around. But, but you know what? It doesn't work that way. Uh, and life is like that, right? There's so much times where we wish we had some control. We just wish we had some control over life, but it just is out of our hands. I had lunch this week with a, a group of women in our church that, that uh, they're known as the wise ones, okay? These are uh, some of the most uh, seasoned uh, ladies in our church. They have come to uh, wisdom through uh, long life and experience, and they shared with me Uh, that the older they get, the more they come to understand that they are not in control, and it's just all up to God. And they just said, you know, when you're younger, you don't understand, but as you age and as you experience, you come to conviction, you know what? It turns out I'm not in control, and we just have to rely on the power of God. And I think that is one really positive lesson that maybe the last couple years has taught us. Because it turns out we have actually never been in control. We've always been powerless, but now we know. And that's a good thing. For example, let's do just a little math together. Uh, What percentage of people are going to die? What is it? Okay, what was it before COVID was ever here? It was still 100, right? No matter what happens with war or COVID, it's always been 100. Okay, how many dollars do you get to take with you after you die? Well, what was it before the economy fell apart? It's always been the same, right? The math hasn't changed. It just, you know, kind of what happens in the immediate circumstance can change a little bit, but the math, it's always been there. We've always been powerless. But sometimes when things go wrong in our world, it reveals to us, oh, oh, I've never been in control. I've always had limited, limited power. I've always been in need of that greater power. And that feeling, that awareness of our mortality, the awareness of our powerlessness, that is exactly how those precious women in the Easter story felt. Those few followers of Jesus who didn't run away at danger but stood at the foot of the cross and watched their Lord die. That's how they felt, I think, when they woke up on Easter morning, brokenhearted, feeling so very weak, and small. We know that because they 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 says they they go to anoint Jesus' body, right? They they think he's still dead, and they just are just looking for any kind of act of love that they can give. And so they get spices and they go to the tomb. And on the way, they think about that big rock, the stone that blocks the way, and they say, "Oh, who will roll the stone away from the entrance?" They realize how weak and small and powerless they are. And in that moment of, of weakness, of mortality, of humanity, that is the moment at last when God Almighty chooses to show his strength. We've sat in the Good Friday story for some minutes together. Who's ready for the Easter story? Are you ready? Then I invite you to stand for this reading. You've got to stand for this one. This... This is the great story of Easter from Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow, and the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. This moment is awesome. Almost every time that an angel appears in the New Testament, the first thing they say is, do not be afraid. But I think it's cool that they don't say, do not be afraid, to the guards, right? It's like they're saying to the soldiers, yeah, you better be afraid after what you did to Jesus. Yeah, they're like, ah, they fall down, right? (laughs) Then the angel turns to the women and the angel said to the women, you (laughs) do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I have told you. And so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, and yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples, but suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, and they clasped his feet, and they worshiped him. They adored him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Lord, this is your word. This is your story. May it come and bring your resurrection power to our lives. Amen. Please be seated. So these women who loved Jesus so much and they saw those nails go into the feet, they now get the opportunity to hold those nail-scarred feet warm and alive again. Jesus, who had been dead, who had been buried, they were expecting to put spices on his body. They show that He is alive and he is moving and breathing and speaking to them. It tells them that this time, death didn't win. This time, mockery and scorn didn't win. This time, intimidation and injustice and oppression did not win. Which means that Jesus wasn't powerless after all, but has infinite power. It means he was choosing the cross, choosing to accept all that mockery and pain silently in order to set us free from it. Now, I know some of you doubt the story, and some of you are here, and you're wondering, like, could that actually be true? I mean, could someone actually come back to life? Is there a God in the universe that would actually make such a thing Happen. I just want to share with you this, just a a thought to ponder, if that's you this morning. Just think about this. All all the different gospel stories and the historical records, they, they all indicate that the disciples, and these are their own disciples confessing this, they confess through these gospel accounts that they were cowards. They all say, with great shame, in the moment of truth, when our Lord and Master was, came to be arrested, we ran away like a bunch of chickens, right? And then something happened. They encountered something on that Easter. They had some kind of experience that turned a bunch of chickens into lions. These became the people that suddenly were brave and spread out throughout the Roman world, announcing Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus came back to life. There's salvation. In his name, he really is the king. And they actually marched towards danger, towards great sacrifice. And almost every single one of them was killed because they refused to recant the story. Now, I think maybe the best of us in this room might be willing to die for a truth we believe in. But who would die for a lie? It makes no sense. Something happened that changed these chickens into lions. And they all said it was because they actually met the resurrected Lord. So what difference does it make in our lives? If Jesus rose from the dead, what does that do with our own suffering, with our own experiences of of depression and despair and grief and loss? Well, I want want to share with you this thought. Uh, One of my good friends, who who is an atheist, uh, shared with me after a funeral that for him, going to a funeral is like the loneliest place in the world for, for an atheist because he's in a different state of grief than the Christians that he sees around him that are loving, embracing, and, and sharing words of hope. And he's having a different experience. He can see that the grief for Christians is changed. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the Apostle Paul writes about that. He says, Brothers and sisters, you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died... And rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. See, the story just assumes that we are gonna have grief, we're gonna have problems, right? Just like everybody else. But our grief is changed by hope and the resurrection is the ultimate sign of the kingdom of God. It's the ultimate promise that in fact, there will be a resurrection in us. We encounter that somewhat in our lives today as we see the resurrection power working in us and growing us and shaping us and one day we will see it in its completion at the resurrection of all who hope in Christ. And so, for us, grief is different than the world's grief. This world, this present life, is not our true home. And so the end of it, the end of life for us, is not the end of us. Now, some people will say that our hope in the kingdom of God is like a fairy tale, the stuff of dreams, and myths, and legends, and they would encourage us to just live our life firmly planted on this earth, what we can touch and feel and see with our eyes. But for we who have come to believe in Christ and believe in the kingdom of which He speaks, we have come to believe that there is a world more real than this one, more firm than this quaking earth which gives way beneath us. We've come to believe that there is a realm of the kingdom of God, which will last forever, of which this world is but like a dim shadow of that future glory. And so we live differently in this life, right? If the economy shakes and fall apart, we don't tremble. We don't panic because our Lord has already taught us not to store up treasures on this earth, but treasures in heaven where moth and rust can never destroy, where inflation can never obliterate, right? And when death comes and knocks on our door, or suffering of all kinds, we don't despair because we know whom we've believed and we trust him to guard for us that deposit until that day. The resurrection of Jesus means that though he submitted himself to the feeling of abject powerlessness, that he actually holds all power in the universe and can bring resurrection power to your life. Everything that he endured, he endured by choice for you and for me. The resurrection is the ultimate sign the kingdom of God is real, that Jesus is king, that he can be king of your life, and he can bring you safely to the fullness of his kingdom one day. And so as Christians, we learn to live in whatever we experience in the victory of Easter. Amen? (laughs) <laughs> nice job band that was pretty good was that pretty good? awesome hey praise God for that hey I want to invite you to come back uh, come back next week um, Leo my, 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 one of my best friends in the world he was actually my boss in Ghana he's going to be here he's going to blow the roof off this place okay so come on back and enjoy him that's going to be at 10 o'clock we've got a lunch after for you to get to know him and, and hang out and uh, maybe we'll have some Ghanaian food there who knows so uh, anyway look forward to that Uh, thank you so much for being here. Let me send you out with this benediction, this, this blessing over you. May you know King Jesus. May you know the resurrection power deep in your mortal bones. May you be blessed by knowing your own powerlessness so you could learn to live in your King's power. God bless you. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. Amen.